Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. We need Jesus. But let me tell you something about Jesus. He is as big as our need. He is. Don't imagine that there's something too big for him to do. Don't imagine there's something too impossible for him. That's not the truth. You know, today, even the most evil people in our world today, even the, those that, that would perpetrate you know, heinous crimes and, and, and horrific atrocities against people around the world today, the most evil person today, God has dealt with people who were a lot worse than that. He has dealt with times that are a lot worse than the times we're in. In history, God has already proven himself that he governs in the affairs of men. One of our founding fathers said that, I believe it was Benjamin Franklin that said, that it is certain, it is evident that God governs in the affairs of men. You know, we may ponder our path, but the Lord directs our steps. And it's important to remember whether it's something that's in your personal life, something you're dealing with or something that you don't want to deal with, something you've gone through or something that you're concerned you might have to go through, whatever it may be, Jesus is able. He is able to meet that need and walk with you. He's able to deliver you. He's able to secure you. He is able. Not only is he able, he's willing. He's a good God. He has a good plan for your life even for our communities and for our churches and for our nation. God has a plan, and that will figure in tonight, God's plan. We'll look at it tonight as we survey the 27th chapter of Acts together in our continuing study of the book of Acts. Tonight we'll be in Acts chapter 27, and what we will learn as we are going through Acts chapter 27, we're going to find out that God has an overriding plan and an overriding power. We're going to find out that God will have his way even if it takes a circuitous route, even if it might look like it's going a different direction than it should or a different direction than we had planned. Nonetheless, God's going to have his way. You see, because Jesus paid a great price. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't give his extra son. He gave his only son. And he gave him freely on the cross of Calvary understanding before the foundation of the world that it would cost him agony and pain. It would cost him his life. It would cost him to feel separated from his Father God to secure our eternity. Understanding that before the very foundation of the world, before time began, understanding what the price would be and what the cost would be, he said yes. And then in the fullness of time, God sent his son. And what we are living in today is the same world that the apostle Paul lived in. He didn't live in a, in a better world. He didn't live in a world that was more filled with God. He didn't live in a world where Jesus was doing more things in that day than he is today. He lived in a world that was just beginning to see what God would do in the lives of men and women, nations. He lived in a world that was just beginning to experience the power of a risen Savior, just beginning to experience that all 
all authority had been given unto Jesus, just experiencing what it was like to go forth into a world that was lost and dying with the remedy in hand. For 4,000 years, people could tell other people about what God had done for them, but they could not offer anyone a relationship with Almighty God. Here the Apostle Paul is one of the very first. He's the first generation that is going forth into a world that's lost and hurting with a power to change a life forever. What an amazing opportunity. What a privilege. What, what, what an honor it was for him. Today, in this world we live in today, there is more Jesus in our world than there was in that day because there's more people and more need and there's more of us filled with the Spirit of God. In that day, there was just very few people that even knew God, had, 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 had accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. There were a few people that the Holy Spirit was living and moving in and witnessing through. There were only a few people that were answering the call and being a witness and going out and, and watching God move mountains and move obstacles and watching God God create miracle opportunities for people to have life changes. Today, there are, you know, there's a billion born-again people on planet Earth. A billion people filled with the Holy Spirit, given a mandate and a call. At this point, almost everyone that was saved, almost everyone that had a relationship with Jesus Christ, almost everyone who had experienced being born again was a Jew. It was a brand new thing to see someone who was not a Jew get born again. In today's economy, everybody, everywhere, without regard to race, color, creed, you know, national origin, sex, uh, gender, what else? Political party. God even saves people who are diehard politicians on both sides of the aisle. Now there's a miracle for you. There's so much God in the earth today. So when we read through the book of Acts, we are reading the beginning of something wonderful. We are reading just the earnest, the first seeds. We should never imagine that we haven't inherited a less powerful Jesus. If anything, we have inherited a more powerful Jesus because the days, the Bible says, are getting short and God is moving. In fact, when the enemy uh, comes in, the Bible says, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. I mean, we have more and greater enemies today than ever before. Well, then we have a more active God. Can you imagine how busy God is today all over the world having people, you know, try to get in front of him and him yet maneuvering around them to have his way and his will. God's will is going to be done. His kingdom is going to come. It's going to work. He just needs us to work it. He needed the apostle Paul in that day. He needs us in our day. Let's begin reading with the first verse of, of chapter 27, and we're going to get through, you know, hopefully we'll just, we'll, we'll take some verses and make some commentaries. And tonight, your job, while I am sharing this, your job is going to hear, to, to be, uh, to, to hear one thing for you, to get one thing tonight, one principle. We'll share some principles. Get one principle that says amen on the inside of you. One thing that you say yes to. One thing that resonates on the inside of you. One thing that sounds like gold. It sounds like truth. For you and put that in practice in your life 
And the second thing you need to do tonight is get one thing for somebody else so that this week you can make sure that you share. It may be the same thing that you can share with someone else in their moment, okay? Because God wants us to spread this gospel around the world. Acts chapter 27, reading from the New King James Version tonight. Verse number one. Now, we're setting up. The apostle Paul has been arrested. He's been being held in, 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 uh, in house arrest in the city of Caesarea. He's been brought before two governors and a king. And it has not been decided whether he is guilty or not guilty. And to avoid being sent back to Jerusalem and, and executed in the process, uh, ambushed and, and, and murdered on the way, he has, by the Holy Spirit, appealed to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, he has a right to appear before Caesar in order to, to have his uh, uh, a trial in front of Caesar. He has made this appeal and so it has come time now, after two years, that the governor called Festus is going to go ahead and send him on his journey to Rome. All right? That's where we are. The 27th chapter, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. When it was decided, <laughs> I suppose that Governor Festus really thought that this was his idea. He really thought that he was making this decision as many times kings and governors and magistrates believe that they are making a judgment over your life or over the life of some born-again Christian. Let me tell you, Almighty God is the one, as I said, that governs in the affairs of man. And the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1 that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and the Lord will turn it as a river of water wherever he wants it to. Let me tell you, when you stand before those who imagine they have power over you, like Jesus standing before Pilate and Pilate saying, don't you know that I can, that, that, that I can you know, crucify? No, you don't. No, you can't. He said, you have no power over me. It's, it's not you. My Father God would have to give you power over me. I want you to know that I can lay my life down or I can take it up again, but you are not the one in charge. God is in charge of me. And that's how the Apostle Paul is going to get to Rome. Festus thinks that he's the one uh, that, that's making this decision, but it was God's time for the Apostle Paul to begin this journey. God knows what he wants done. God has a plan. Man no more governs, governs the course of God's plan. Man no more governs the course of a born-again Christian than, than, than man could turn a river or, 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 or change the weather. These things are in God's hands. Verse 2, so entering a ship of a dramamedium. Oh, I tried to say that fast. Boy, that, by the way, is a city near the city of Troas on the upper coast of western Turkey today. Troy, near Troy, Troas. That's where the ship was made. It was a shipmaking place in those days, a little bit of history. And so it was a ship from there that was built there and was from there and had sailed around to the port city uh, through the Mediterranean and was at the port city and was most likely on its way back there. 
By the way, that name means, uh, you know, uh, um, held in death. Isn't that interesting? Wow. I don't know what it has to do with tonight, but I thought that was interesting. Okay. <laughs> we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, which is now modern-day Turkey. They, they, they were going to go. They intended to kind of go up the coastline, and they're going to stop, you know, at, uh, at that Sidon. And then they intended to sail close to the coastline, right, uh, you know, just in the edge, to the shore, where they could probably see the, 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 the mountains in, in, in Turkey now and sail. Because it was an easy sailing with gentle and calm winds, and everything was going to be, be okay. We intended to sail along the coast of Asia, Aristarchus. A Macedonian of Thessalonica was with us. Aristarchus is mentioned several times. He was a companion with Paul. So here they intended, as some translations say, they intended to have this nice little sail, you know, uh, along the coastline and, and, and get, you know, almost over to Europe. Well... Uh, under those gentle breezes of the Mediterranean in that time of year, uh, it, 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 it was uh, uh, summer to late summertime there, just, just late summer, almost into that early autumn. Verse 4, even though they intended this, God had a different plan. So as they're sailing, you know, along the edge of the coastline, you know, verse 4, when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. What does that mean? That means that, 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 that instead of cruising westward along the course of the, of the, that they had hoped, the winds were, were contrary. As many times, even when we are destined by God, even, even the contrary winds are still subject to God's will. And instead of sailing uh, west along the coastline, they ended up having to turn south and sail southwest and ended up sailing under the islands south of Cyprus that's out a little farther into the Mediterranean. Many times circumstances push us out into deeper waters. Many times we find ourselves having to adjust our course to continue trying to meet our goals. Alternate routes, unexpected detours, they can seem like a waste of time, but they aren't. Never complain whenever you find yourself having to take a detour. You never know what you might be avoiding. You never know what God might have planned. You never know what God might need right down the road. So detours many times seem like surprises to us, but they're a plan to God. God is not going to get caught unprepared for the things he has planned for you. And here, the ship, the Apostle Paul now, you know, Festus thinks it's time for me to send you to Rome. Have you judged no, it was God's timing. God's timing get on that ship. And God knew what the wind would be. And God knew what that ship captain intended. But yet the winds disallowing that made them push farther out into the deep water. You see, the hand of God was on this. And we can rest in faith, faith knowing that no matter what is going on in our life, even though it might seem like a temporary setback, even though it might seem like a... Like, like, like a, a a detour. Believe me, God is in control. Verse 9, and when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, that means it's already gotten into early autumn, Paul advised them saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss. 
not only of cargo and ship, but also of our lives. You know, our lives are going to be in danger on this journey. Nevertheless, the centurion, he was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than he was by the things that Paul said. So they continued their journey and they continued sailing towards Rome. Verse 14, but not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called, now there are two pronunciations. I like this phonetically pronounced. You know, there's, you know, Eroclodon, but there's Eurocladon. I like the Eurocladon. Why? Because it reminds me of a European cyclone. And that's what this was. <laughs> this was a cyclone that evidently had originated in the Mediterranean in the, in the European theater and there, like a hurricane, was blowing across the Mediterranean and it came up not long afterwards, this, this temp tempestuous headwind. They encountered it because of this European cyclone that was uh, coming across the Mediterranean. And if you have ever watched hurricane tracking out here in the Gulf or in, in the, in, in, you know, uh, uh, coming into the Gulf from the Atlantic, then you watch sometimes it can do like this and sometimes it can go in circles. Sometimes it goes here and goes there. And sometimes it spends a lot of time going nowhere. Well, this is going to be the case with this one. Why? Because Almighty God has his hand on this. And there was not much use trying to resist this headwind. All they could do was secure the sails and just let the wind and the current drive the ship. You can continue to read that. I encourage you to read the whole account because it seems as though that this storm was so big there was nothing they could do but just let it take them wherever it was going to take them. They found themselves evidently in the center of this storm and the storm finally pushed them all the way down under the, uh, under the cover southward of a small island where just for a little while they got a little reprieve. And so what they did when they got the reprieve is they pulled in their, their, their skiff, what they used to go to shore in. It evidently was trailing them. They pulled it in. I don't know why, why Luke decided to tell us this, but they pulled it in with a lot of hard work and they secured it. And then they took cables and they put under the ship under this ship, all the way, you know, up and down. You can imagine they were trying to tie it together because the wind and the waves were so contrary and throwing them around that they were concerned that the ship was going to break up. And in fact, it almost did because they were almost thrown up on the sandbars of this little island. And they were concerned about it, so concerned that they went ahead and hoisted another sail and that wind took them right back out into the deep waters. My goodness. Uh, you know, we imagine this to be some, perhaps some small ship with a few people. There were 276 people on board, we're told in a few verses later. That's a pretty good sized ship with 276 people on board. It appears from the account that they tried everything they could to lighten the ship. They threw things overboard and, and then when that didn't work, they ended up the account says that, that, that after three days of just being bombarded by the winds and, and them getting so afraid and so concerned, they ended up throwing over everything they could. In fact, the apostle Paul, the indication is that he helped with his own hands pull up things, furniture as we understand, you know, and, and even arms and extra rope and tackle and everything that they could. They threw everything that was non-essential for sailing in life, they threw right out of the ship. 
Verse 19, and on the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands, indicating that, that you know, the apostle Paul was right there doing that. Verse 20, now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Everybody has decided to give up. Have you ever been in a place where it just lasted so long and the fight was so strong and it was so horrible and terrible that you and everybody else that knew you would say, you may as well give up. You know, that's how they felt. All hope. After many days of being in the midst of this hurricane, after many days of just being driven around all over the Adriatic Sea, as they will later say, up and down the Adriatic Sea, they were tossed to and fro and fear of just the, the, the ship breaking up. And they, uh, they didn't even eat anything for 14 days. Maybe from seasickness or maybe some fear or maybe from just trying to hold on. All hope of being saved was gone. Verse 21, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood up in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. <laughs> you know, after long days, days and days, two whole weeks out in this storm, and it is really just... just without eating anything, and it's just, it's taken all hope from them. All you need is somebody to stand up and say, told you so. <laughs> Woo! That would not be my favorite person on that trip, you know it? <laughs> told you so. You should have listened to me. Well, nobody expected to live. All hope was gone. And the Apostle Paul pretty much at that point says, well, now are you ready to listen? You know, you could have done this the easy way. And many times what God is trying to do in our lives, many times it seems like an unfair test. But how many times has he tried to get you to do that or to go down that road or be that or quit that? Or, or, or How many times does God have to deal with us before life gets so tough that we end up almost losing hope and somebody turns around and says, I told you so. I told you you should have quit that. I told you you should have started that. I told you you shouldn't have done that. Wow. Are you ready to listen now, the Apostle Paul basically said? Verse 22. The Apostle Paul stands up. And now, I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you. But we're going to lose the ship. Well, you were right before. Maybe I'm going to listen to you now. <laughs> maybe I don't have any other ideas. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm fresh out of ideas. And maybe this ship is not as important as my life. Verse 23, the apostle Paul tells him why he knows this. He said, for there stood by me this night an angel, a messenger of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. He is not a bit ashamed to say that I am a born-again Christian and tonight an angel, a messenger of the Lord spoke to me. 
He was not a bit, you know, shy. He was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knew that that was the power of God and the only thing that was going to help. And so he boldly declared to them something that could have made him look insane. He's saying, I have heard from God, and I'm telling you right now that this angel is an angel of God to whom I belong. I belong to God, and I serve God, and you're just pretty fortunate I'm on this ship. I'm a born-again Christian. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're just pretty lucky that I'm in this family. Hello? You're, you're lucky that someone that belongs to Almighty God is in some yoke with you. This scripture just jumps off the page at me and makes me realize how fortunate I was as a child to have people in my life, to have people in my family, to have people in my world, to have people in my classroom, in my school, to have people who cared about me and my world that were born again Christians. I was pretty lucky in the hell that I was living in that somebody that belonged to God was right there with me. In fact, they might have gone through the hell just because God wanted somebody that loved him and belonged to him and could help me right there beside me when I needed help. And you could be that someone going through something at work or going through something at school or going through something with a family or a friend. You might be an only hope. We've seen it before in the scriptures how that when people are married and one of them's born again and one of them's not, God says, well, just hang in there if you can because you will sanctify that unbeliever. They have hope. They have help. You can hold on. You can do this. I need somebody in the game. You may never know why God has you going through something, but you can pretty well believe that if you're right with God and the bad things that you encounter, you're going to come out okay. God's going to deliver you, and it may not even be about you. He said, this angel stood beside me in verse 24. This angel said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. You're still going to be brought, but listen, you, you have a destiny. I have a plan for your life, and no storm is going to stop it. You know, no loss of a ship is going to stop it. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. I love that. God has granted you all those who sail with you. What we need to do is just get more people in our boat. Therefore, take heart, Paul said. Take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, <laughs> listen, uh, we're going to have to run this ship aground <laughs> on a certain island, on a very particular island, on a very special place that God is going to choose. Because evidently, we'll read in the next chapter, God had something there on that island that needed to be tended to. Paul said, I've received a message from God. I belong to him. Don't be afraid. You're lucky I'm here. Because I'm here, you're going to be okay. Because God has a plan. But listen to me. 
I'm calling the shots from now on because we got to run aground on a certain island. Well, verse 29, then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. Listen, sometimes when you think things are bad and it looks like they're getting worse in, their, in, in the midnight hour, when you don't know what to do, you don't know where you are, it can be like that time. Time to stop and pray. Drop anchor and pray for clarity. And that's what they did. Dropped anchor. Stop right here. We don't. I'm, okay, God's got a plan for us. We don't want to go willy-nilly half-hearted into the darkness. Let's just stop here and let's just pray and let's ask God for some clarity. Let's pray for day to come. Let's pray for some light on this matter. They needed clear direction. Verse 33, and as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food. He said, now listen, you need to eat something. Today is the 14th day, and you have waited and continued without food and eating nothing. It's been two weeks since you've even stopped to eat. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, verse 34. For this is for your survival. Listen, when you're in a tough time and a bad time, you need nourishment for your survival's sake. Spiritual food and natural food. This is not the only time in the Bible that God fed someone because the journey they were about to take or what was going to be required of them was going that they were going to need a little extra. Oftentimes, God wants you to get a little extra. God wants you to be in church. God wants you to open up your Bible. He wants you to pray. He wants you to get physically fit, spiritually fit, mentally fit, emotionally fit, because he knows that, that, that life is going to tax you just a little bit more right down the road. Both the devil and this world love to pick on weak people. This was no time, Paul says, for us to be weak. This is for your survival, Okay since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. Nourishment is vital. Verse 39, when it was day, when the day, daylight finally came, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. They weren't even sure it was possible but they came up with a plan. Things got clear. And what their plan was, was to run aground, to run this ship on the beach, if possible. Sometimes it may not even seem like, you know, it's the perfect place, or we're not even sure we're going to be able, but we know that it's time to do something. Our, our direction's gotten clear. We need to have a little plan. We need to put a plan together. We need a plan to go with God. We're not even sure. But they were wise enough to get a plan. And verse 40 says, and they let go the anchors. There's a time in life when you have to let go the anchors. They didn't pull them up. They cut them loose. Sometimes the things that are holding you captive, the things that are holding you down, the things that, that you feel like are security, the things that you, the places you feel safe in, Sometimes you have to cut those anchors. Sometimes you have to change the place you're at, the friends. Sometimes they're just holding you. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, they lost control. They let go of the rudder. 
They just, they just pulled up, they just cut the anchors loose and pulled up the rudder. And what they said is, here we are, God. Here we go. We're stepping out, Lord, on faith. We're doing this, God. We're just going to run toward what we believe is you. And that's what they did. They hoisted the, 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 the mainsail to the wind and they made for shore. <laughs> They're just going to give it everything they got in this last ditch effort to do their best. What makes someone decide to cut anchors and let loose the rudder, to cut the, the ties, to place God in total control of their life? It's because they're at a place where they don't know what else to do. In those moments, you can trust God. They just let go. Reminds me of the prodigal son that was in the pig pen. If you remember from the book of Luke, he's in the pig pen and he's, and he, and he's you know, sold himself as a slave to a foreigner. He came to his senses, the Bible said. And what did he do? He cut himself loose. That, 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 that pig pen was a prison for him. That commitment that he'd made to the foreigner was a, was, was a bondage to him. He just got himself a plan. I'm going to go back toward home and I'm just going to become one of my, one of my daddy's servants. He, he cut the anchors of his life. He cut it past and he just went for it. Not even knowing if it was possible. That's what they did. We know the ship didn't make it. It ran aground and broke up. People began to jump out of the ship. Those that could swim, swam, and, and those that couldn't held on to boards and pieces of the ship. Verse 44, the last part says, and so it was that they all escaped safely to land. You know, we've discovered, we've looked at several principles in chapter 27. But this last thing I want to leave with you is from the very first verse that we read. In the first verse of chapter 27, verse 1 says, And when it was decided that we should sail, we. Who's the we? Well, we know that Luke wrote the book of Acts, so Luke is there. And also in verse 2, he tells us that, that, that there's another person there with him. Uh, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. At least these two companions of Paul. Now, why does this intrigue me? Why does this inspire me? Because the apostle Paul was under arrest. He was bound and obligated legally to be on that boat and to go through all of that. And we'll see in the next chapter what he accomplished as a result and perhaps what God's purpose. Not only are some people going to get saved on this island that are very critical to the plan of God, but also all those 275 other men besides Paul were all saved. God had a plan for their life. And sometimes people, they, they just get to the bottom of their barrel before they'll finally give up and let God have their life. Paul was obligated. He was legally bound to be on that ship. But Luke and Aristarchus, they went by choice. Out of a conviction, out of a commitment. It wasn't about them. They were not legally bound. They chose a free will to step into the dangerous waters of life 
and to say that as for me, I am convicted that God has called me to serve his kingdom. I don't have to. I choose to. I choose to put myself in a place of ministry to serve the plan of God and the man of God. I choose. And because of that, the apostle Paul had support and help all along the way, not only to witness and be a witness, but also to take care of those things and to continue to help. Even the next generation was served by these two men because they were there, because they chose. Whether you are in a place where you feel obligated or bound, or you just feel convicted and committed. God needs you. He has a plan. You're important to his plan. Don't let the worries about future rob you from the ministry that God needs you to perform. He'll take care of you.